Ephemeral is a production of iHeartRadio. Tell us about your eight favorite pals in school. I have friends like Lisa. Come on. Well, okay. I have friends like Lisa and Kelly and Lynn Jarvis and Mary Jean and Lynn Fashay and... Why did they sing songs? No. You're enjoying Uncle Jack's nifty tape recorder. Okay. We are enjoying Uncle Jack's nifty tape recorder. It's beautiful. I love it. No, don't touch Brian. Uh-huh. No, Brian. You're going to have to take you to our service shop Shh. and get your transistor fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. getting it all over your cabinet. Yeah, Daddy. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that, Uncle Jack. He goes he, and he bites it. I know. Hi. Oh, that's so loud. I know. Brian, can you say something? Say hi. Brian, say hi. Say hi. Say hi. Say hi. Say Brian, would you want a cookie? Got a cookie? Shoes. 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 So Uncle Jack's shoes. Say new shoes. Say shoes. Shoes. This hundred or so feet of reel-to-reel tape comes to us from master collector Bob Purse. On his blog, Inches Per Second, he describes it like this. Today's brief tape may not sound like much to some listeners. I'll leave that to you to decide. But it is a greatly loved little 113 seconds for me and a few of my closest friends, and a key tape in my development as a collector of other people's sounds and memories. This tape came from the ALS Mammoth Music Mart sale, and it was a tape found most likely in the first batch at the first of those yearly sales that I went to. And as a result, this little moment in time, recorded very likely in the 1960s, was among the first, if not the first, tapes I found of this sort. And definitely the first to make me want to hear more of this sort of thing. The fact that it was clearly recorded in Winnetka, Illinois, a town less than a mile from where I grew up, probably helped too. Plus, and maybe this is the reason it made such an impression on me, there are a remarkable number of enjoyable little moments for such a short tape. Regardless of the reasons, this is one of the tapes that pushed me into the collector that I am today. What we hear. Okay. <laughs> Uncle Jack has brought his tape recorder over to the home of a family member. A child named Gail, being apparently the oldest child present, is encouraged to talk. After not wanting to at first, she then lists several of her friends. Lisa and Kelly and Lynn Jarvis and Mary Jean and Lynn Fashay and... And mentions her school. <laughs> There's a toddler present. No, Brian. And he begins nibbling on part of the tape recorder until told not to. No, don't touch Brian. The family then comments on Brian's behavior and looks yep. before trying to get him to say a few of the words he knows. Brian, can you say something? Say hi. Brian, say hi. Say hi. Say hi. Say hi. hi. 
That's it. Except it isn't. For me, my family, and friends, several phrases here have become the sort of obscure references that we all have within our family and friendship circles. Some of the things I love here. Gail saying, It's beautiful. I love it. Uncle Jack worrying about Brian shorting out the transistor. The way Gail says, Look at that, Uncle Jack. He goes, he, and he bites it. Gail's mother's description of her son, Brian. Leading to the essential question, can an overbite be nifty? The same woman's wordless vocalizing immediately thereafter, demonstrating that nifty overbite for those assembled. <laughs> the failed attempts to get Brian to say his new words, including Gail's excited encouragement. Shoes! Shoes? 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 This is one that I treasure above all, but perhaps a dozen others. If it doesn't live up to the billing for you, well then, please allow me the indulgence. Bob has curated thousands of home recording oddities from all kinds of garage and rummage sales, sifting through chaotic masses of analog tapes and vinyl 78s, grabbing anything with an intriguing description, and anything unlabeled. Most of these, I'm sure, contain nothing of interest. Some are badly recorded or damaged. Many are mislabeled. Many are just tapes of pop music recorded off the radio. But a few are absolute gems. Stuff you would never hear anywhere else. Families gathered around the piano singing songs. Predictions of the future. Hi, this is April 10th, 1959. Five years from now, you AM radio jingles. One, two, three, on your dog. Scare tactic PSAs. Someday a friend may offer you a trip to a world of colors you can taste and music you can see. Whole unreleased albums by amateur musicians. I've got a reputation that ain't good. It just seemed to think that art's made of wood. Things that defy easy description. Stacks of this media line Bob's house. It's the culmination of a life's work. This is not necessarily glamorous work. Indeed, it's a grind. Digging through haystack after haystack, unsure of which contain needles. It's a labor of love. But the archivist has the spirit of the adventurer. The pilgrim, the backpacker, the urban explorer. The more difficult the expedition, the sweeter the reward. Imagine driving up into the mountains and turning into a dying radio frequency. Anything. Maybe it's conservative talk show on one band and it starts running into Christian hymnal music on the other. And then something altogether different arises. A creation that is greater than the simple sum of its parts. What's the chance that these two things could collide in such an intriguing way? What's the chance that this would ever happen again? This feels akin to the process by which David Byrne and Brian Eno crafted their imaginary cultural artifact. My life in the bush of ghosts. Pitting their new brand of psychedelic dance music against found vocal tracks, evangelist preachers, calling radio shows, America is waiting for a message of some sort or another, field recorded folk singing, and an exorcism caught on tape. Or how Paul Simon, the poet, fell in love with the bootleg cassette of Gumboots, Accordion Drive Hits, Volume 2. A now lost collection of South African jam sessions that he channeled through his controversial 1986 album, Graceland. 
that mysterious thing. You think, I have never heard anything like this before. You listen over and over. You feel compelled to share it with others. You attempt to unlock its secrets. Treasures saved from obscurity and eventual oblivion because they are just too fascinating to put down. These could generally be referred to as ephemeral recordings, audio that, left undisturbed, would only exist for a short time. Physical media breaks down, tape rots, vinyl disintegrates, and certain types of recordings have historically been most susceptible to neglect and decay. But of course... All right, so here we are in front of the uh, elephants. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Is this real life? Double rainbow. Turn the friggin' frogs gay. Oh, jolly. Oh. You gotta stop eating the Tide Pods. Partying, partying. Hi, doggy. He wrote the word kafefe. Drink the kafefe, everyone. The least predictable, most confounding era in the history of human expression. In a world where nothing is ever truly deleted, in which every meal a person photographs, every taped hour of video game play, exists potentially forever, what will be analogous with the ephemeral audio of the past? What has the danger of being lost in the digital age? And as part of that continuum, old ephemeral things that may have never been seen again now have new life thanks to the efforts of folks like Bob Purse and Rick Prelinger. So much of the ephemera I have cherished was already digitized by the time I got to it. You wonder what missed the cutoff. What media, in between the advent of recording and the recording of this, turned to dust before it could be turned to ones and zeros. For instance, Florence Lawrence, often referred to as the world's first movie star, acted in over 300 films in the first third of the 20th century. She worked for all the big studios, Biograph, Imp, Lubin, Vitagraph. She was the first film actress whose name was used to promote the pictures, truly the first celebrity of the medium and the initial linkage of the Hollywood star system. Yet of her staggering film catalog, the majority are now considered lost films. In other words, no part of the celluloid stock still survives. Born in 1886 in Hamilton, Ontario, Florence was mostly in silent films, but she acted in a handful of sync-sound talkies in the 1920s and 30s, before the end of her tragically short life. Hollywood was not kind to Flo, and her last roles were tiny bit parts. So while you can still hear her doing vaudevillian shtick as a Russian maid... Where's mother? By the field. You want I should touch her? ...or calling a few words out from a crowd of extras... You big boot! The remaining oeuvre of this once icon grossly underrepresents her voice. Well documented in other ways, this becomes a most inaccessible moment in history. I don't remember how I ended up here, but it was surely the course of some search engine rabbit hole. I started my professional activity as a neurologist trying to bring relief to my neurotic patients. That's the voice of Dr. Sigmund Freud. Knowing nothing else, I made a copy of the recording and archived it away. It's not exactly pleasant to listen to. The fidelity is low, and the delivery, perhaps because of Freud's strained English, is somewhat painful. But it was unique. Sometime later, those 120 seconds made it into a composition of mine, 
That was before I learned that this is the first and only known recording of Freud. He was suffering inoperable jaw cancer. With every word, he was in agonizing pain. I can only imagine what compelled him to speak. But in this, likely the only time Freud was offered a microphone, what he provided was kind of the business card version of his work. I started my professional activity as a neurologist, trying to bring relief to my neurotic patients. Under the influence of an older friend and by my own efforts, I discovered some important new facts about the unconscious in psychic life, the role of instinctual urges, and so on. Out of these findings grew a new science, psychoanalysis, a part of psychology, and a new method of treatment of the neuroses. I had to pay heavily for this bit of good luck. People did not believe in my facts and thought my theories unsavory. Resistance was strong and unrelenting. In the end, I succeeded in acquiring pupils and building up an international psychoanalytic association. But the struggle is not yet over. Is all this inherent in the track? Did the conditions of its creation somehow manifest in its mystique? Or maybe I just got lucky? Maybe those things aren't mutually exclusive. In 1986, filmmaker Ken Jacobs presumably bought a lot of old newsreels. He used them in his found footage cut-ups. But one reel, shot two decades prior, proved to be something different altogether. Quickly, we know where we are. It's February 21st, 1965. Gawking crowds are gathered outside of Manhattan's Audubon Ballroom. Malcolm X has just been shot. These are the raw recordings of the camera crew on the ground. We see the same few people interview and re-interview. We hear the responses sharpen. And he raised his hand in uh, the Muslim greeting, Salam Aleikum, like this. Right the reporter's questions grow hawkish. Are you convinced that both of these men had no part in the conspiracy to kill Malcolm? Well, we have two suspects in custody now. Well, were they who fired the shot? If you're careful, you can catch the facts begin to drift. It's, I can't give you an accurate, uh, at least uh, eight shots fired. And then... Smack in the middle, a ghostly figure dons the screen. Well, Elijah Muhammad uh, has given the order to his followers to see that I am crippled or killed. But this a perfect film, as Ken titled it. 21 minutes, 45 seconds of uncut 16 millimeter. Perfect, requiring no additional edits. If we were to divide these recordings into categories... I'd file each of the aforementioned examples under perfect. Whatever the intent and conditions of recording, they find us now like immaculate conceptions, preserved, fully formed, and ready to ascribe meaning. Don't forget the shoes. Say no shoes. Say shoes? Shoes? 
Ephemeral is written and assembled by me and produced by Annie Reese, Matt Frederick, and Tristan McNeil, with technical assistance from Sherry Larson. Special thanks this episode to Robert Lamb, Joe McCormick, Dylan Fagan, and the inimitable Bob Purse. There's more information about everything you heard here online at ephemeral.show. Next time on Ephemeral. What record collectors collected was stuff that had to do with the story of America. Country, blues, jazz, gospel. But the immigrant stuff, the ethnic stuff, the record collector is standing there in your living room with your grandparents' records in his hand, and he hands them back to you, and he goes, sorry, there's nothing here I can use. Really? Dollar a piece? No, sorry. It's just, I, don't, I don't think anybody wants these. So then what happens to them? Well, you throw them away. They're junk. If that guy doesn't want them, nobody wants them. Visit us on the World Wide Web and interact with us on social media at the Femoral Show. For more podcasts and iHeartRadio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.